Good morning. This morning's sermon is taken from the scripture reading from Acts chapter 28, verses 17 to 31. The gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can hear your word. And we pray, O oh God, that you'll open our eyes that we may see wondrous things out of your word. We may hide your word in our hearts, that we may love you always. And we pray this in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. Now in today's scripture reading, we come to the last portion of the book of Acts. Now here it tells us that Paul has actually arrived in Rome safely. And this is the end of the story of the book of Acts. Now to really fully appreciate the story, we must go back to the very beginning. And this is where we have to look back at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When Jesus told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and that you will receive the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the world. Now when Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit will come upon them, that the gospel will go to the end of the earth. Now, mind you, it was such a small, fledgling community. What would they have thought when Jesus said this to them? That the gospel witnesses to the ends of the earth. I'm sure the first thought would be impossible. But as the years go by, when the gospel begins to reach out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, they realize that overcoming through different obstacles, they would have thought, now that the task is difficult. And by the time Paul reaches to Rome, it's done. In the stages of God's work, there are really three stages in a sense. Impossible, difficult, and then done. Yes, it is always like that with God's strategy. When the disciples were first told, they would have thought impossible. As they were doing it, it's difficult. And finally, it's done. And it's done because it crossed barriers so that the gospel could reach to the ends of the earth. There were geographical barriers to cross from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and then to Asia Minor, to Europe, and then finally to Rome. There were also ethnic barriers to break, first among the Jews, and then to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, and then to the Gentiles, Cornelius, Antioch, and to the ends of the earth, including Rome. Now, in the crossing of barriers, God is always there. God is always superintending over the situation. God is there in the breakthrough 
of the gospel in different situations. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in Jerusalem, they were preaching the gospel and the, the numbers grew to 3,000 and 2,000 and 5,000. It was a great number. And then tragedy struck when Saul persecuted the Christian. And despite the tragedy of persecution, the gospel spread to Judea and Samaria. And we see Philip as instrumental in bringing the gospel. And Philip was prompted by the Spirit of God to reach out to the Ethiopian. Then we also read in the book of Acts that Peter was prejudiced against bringing the gospel to the Gentile. And God had to break through and to tell him that he should not consider the Gentiles unclean and unworthy of the gospel. Yes, Peter had a vision. And as a result, he went obediently to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, as we are told in Acts chapter 10. So God causes his gospel to spread through his witnesses, through crossing barriers. Now it reminds me, of what Paul himself had said in Romans 8.28, that God causes all things to work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And God is sovereign in this story of the spread of the gospel. But we see that God causes his gospel to spread through empowered witnesses, witnesses that are filled with the spirits, witnesses that are led by the spirit in the face of difficulty, prejudice, and even persecution. In the face of difficulty, in the face of prejudice, and even in the face of persecution. We see that in Peter, for example, as he preached the gospel after the healing of the lame man at Solomon's portico, he was jailed and beaten and told not to preach the gospel. But he continued to do so, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Similarly with Paul, as we read, also with Stephen and Philip as well. They were all filled with the Spirit. They were led by the Spirit. It was Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered, Spirit-led ministry. It is with this power of God behind them or in them that they face the difficulties that come. There were obstacles from within the community and also from without the community. From within the community, as the gospel spread, they had to take care of the widows and the orphans, the poor, the marginalized, and they gathered food distribution. Yes, it was a problem at hand that there was quarrel between uh, uh, among the widows, the Hebraic widows and the Hellenistic widows. But in time, with discernment, the apostles were able to handle the situation. From within, too, there was the threat of false spirituality and false believers, as we see in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, and also Simon the magician. They appear to be Christians, 
outwardly, but inwardly they were deceitful and lying like Ananias and Sapphira, and unrepentant and captive to sin, as in Simon the magician. And the situation had to be dealt with. But in these situations, we see God superintending over the situation, providing spiritual discernment and wisdom to the apostles to deal with the problem. From without, there was persecution and trial by the Jewish authorities. Peter in Jerusalem and Stephen being martyred. And of course, we read also Paul in his missionary journey, faced tremendous hardship, suffering, beating, left for dead, imprisonment, riot and mob violence. All these apostles persevered through the hardship, suffering and even martyrdom. And I'm sure that a reason why they, uh, God has allowed them to go through is because God was refining them that through trials and tribulation, they will be refined just like gold is refined through fire. In a similar way, when we face difficulties in the Christian life that we live, let's remember that trials and tribulation are a way, are God's way too, to refine and strengthen us and to help us to be true to God as we continue to live for Him. Remember, Joseph in the book of Genesis, how he suffered tremendously. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused and then he was imprisoned. But God raised him. God preserved him. So much so that he became the second person in authority in Egypt to Pharaoh. When the brothers came to him, he spoke. He assured the brothers saying, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What they did, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many life. And here we see that, yes, what the brothers did to Joseph was evil, but out of tragedy, God brought an overwhelming good. Good not only for Joseph and the family, for the people of God, Israel. God works his purpose through whatever situation his witnesses will go through and whatever obstacles that God, men may put in the way. And so in this story, we see that Paul finally reaches Rome. As we read in our passage today, Acts chapter 18, verse 17 to 31, Paul has reached Rome at last through many dangers, toils and snares. He has finally reached Rome. He had faced the storm as he traveled to Rome, shipwrecked and even bitten by a snake in Malta. But the sovereign Lord had assured Paul that he will reach Rome and to be tried before Caesar. And Paul was given a very warm welcome by the Christians when he reached Puteoli and also in Rome. And they came to meet him and, and Paul gave thanks to God on seeing the Roman Christians. And he was encouraged by their very presence. 
And as we look at the passage today, we read that in verse 16, in Rome, Paul was able to live in a rented house by himself, but he was under a Roman guard. Yes, in Rome, he was in chain, yet limited freedom, but he was able to continue what he had always done before. Yes, he was in chain with the Roman guard, but he continued to fulfill his ministry. Now we read in verse 17 that after three days, Paul called the local leaders of the Jews together. He had wanted to speak to them and he addressed them as brothers. And here he identified himself with them as a fellow Jew. And it was an opportunity for him to share the gospel with them as well and also to explain to them why he was in Rome. Paul's principle in his ministry had always been the gospel to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Now, as he gathered the local Jewish leaders in Rome together, he said to them three things in verses 17 to 20. He says, brothers, I've done nothing wrong against our people or the customs of our father. Uh, and yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Roman. He said, look, I've not done anything wrong. And I'm sure he would have told them that he was a victim of mob violence in Jerusalem and that he was jailed and tried with no real credible charge against him. Now, the Romans wanted to free him because he said, when they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. The Roman had wanted to, to set him free, but we are told that the Jews objected. Paul is saying he had no choice but to appeal to Caesar. In fact, his no choice was God's choice. And perhaps our no choice may be God's choice. It is God's way of providing a way of escape for him from the Jews to go to Rome. And we know that God is there present, guiding the situation. Remember on the way to Rome, in the storm, an angel told Paul that he would be preserved and that he will stand trial in Rome. In Acts chapter 27, verse 30, 23 to 35. Here, even in the fiercest storm, where Paul could have been drowned, God was there. God's choice to bring Paul to Rome. Yes, he says, no choice. But it's really God's choice to bring him to Rome, to be an empowered witness for Christ in Rome. And then Paul continues to say that I have brought no charge. I have no charge to bring against the nation, that is the Jews, or the Romans against him. Basically, he's actually saying, despite all that the Jews had done to him, he's saying, I have nothing against my people. I don't bear a grudge against them. Now, you know, when people do us wrong, we bear a grudge against other people. 
And sometimes we keep that grudge in our hearts and mind for a very, very long time. And Paul says, I have nothing against my people, nor against the Roman. And here it's a reminder of how a Christian should act Christ-likely towards those who do evil or persecute them. And it reminds me of what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Or Stephen, when he was martyred, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So Paul, an exemplary example of a Christ-like character in the face of difficulty. And then, of course, Paul asked to meet the Jewish leaders because he says, look, he wants to explain the case to them because it is about the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. That is, it's because of the hope of Israel that I am a prisoner. He's actually saying that I'm a prisoner simply because of a Jewish matter. It is about the hope of Israel. And I'm sure when you talk about the hope of Israel, it is about Jesus, the fulfillment of the Messianic expectation of the Old Testament. For him, it would have been Jesus, the biblical Messiah, the Messiah of the Old Testament has come. The Jewish leaders replied him in a rather surprising way in verses 21 and 22. They say that, oh, we have not received anything official from the Jews in Jerusalem, nor perhaps from the Roman authorities about Paul's coming to Rome. Neither, secondly, they have said, we've heard anything bad about Paul himself. However, they said, yes, they know that evil things have been spoken about the Christians or the Christian sect. However, they also expressed that they were interested to hear Paul out. And so they say, we desire to hear from you what your views are. And so they fix a date to meet again to hear Paul. And when they met, it was an even larger group, as we are told from verse, verses 23 onwards. They came uh, to his lodging in greater numbers. And Paul, from morning to evening, expounded the scriptures to them. Wow! Morning to evening, they stayed for such a long time. It showed the interest of the Jews in what Paul believed. Paul would have been so excited and enthused to share the gospel with them. And here, Paul speaks of two things. Firstly, about the kingdom of God. You would have told them how Jesus has come to usher in the kingdom of God. and that. The kingdom of God would be different from that of the kingdom of Caesar. And that God's kingdom will finally prevail. We would have said about Christ coming again. And then the second thing that Paul tried to do was to persuade the Jews about Jesus from the law and from the prophets. That means he was trying to persuade the Jews about Jesus as the Messiah. Now for the Jews, they would be interested to know, how can Jesus be the Messiah foretold in the Old Testament? How can he be that Messiah when he was crucified on the cross? Because the Bible says 
that whoever is crucified on the cross is cursed by God. How can God's Messiah be cursed by God? How can he be the divine son of God? These and many other questions would have been asked of Paul and of us today. Now, Paul was ready to persuade, to argue, to present clearly, consistently, coherently, and cogently the case. And Paul doing apologetical preaching. He was prepared to give an answer for his faith with gentleness and respect. In the same way too, we are to share the gospel, answering whatever questions people may have about our faith with gentleness and respect. And there is always a place to present the clear gospel message. There's a place to answer honest questions with honest answers. Now, of course, after Paul's sharing, we see that the people were divided into two groups. One, people who were convinced by Paul's argument. Others did not. And so they, they, they disagreed among themselves. And so when they disagreed, Paul actually quoted from Isaiah to describe the situation of those who disbelieve. And he says that from Isaiah, that those who hear the gospel, they hear and do not understand. They see and they do not perceive. How is it so? Because they have their hearts that are hardened, their ears that are deaf, their eyes that are closed. It only shows that their heart has been hardened, refused, stubborn to believe. It is because of the refusal that remerited God's judgment instead of salvation. Now, after Paul having said that, the Jews departed. And when they departed, Paul then declared, Paul says, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Now remember, Paul's policy of the gospel to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. This happened three times earlier in Antioch of Pisidia, in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, in Corinth, in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, 30, uh, verse 8 to 9. As we look at the last two verses, we see that Paul spent two whole years living on his own expense, welcoming all who came to him to share the gospel. Paul connected with all who came to him. He was there, always open to meet those who are willing to hear the gospel. And second, we see he proclaimed the kingdom of God and about the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we see the clarity, the consistency of Paul's message. Paul did not change the content of his message to suit the taste of his hearers or audience so that they will find it easier to believe in the gospel. No, his gospel message was clear and consistent. And also we see that he proclaimed the gospel with boldness. There was courage in proclaiming the gospel, especially when it's not politically correct to proclaim it to the Jews. They would consider Jesus as blasphemous when Christians claim that he's divine. 
then of course we notice that Paul is in chain, but that the gospel is not chained. The messenger may be chained, but the gospel is not chained. The gospel continues unhindered. And Paul's motto in his ministry has been like a rugby player, taking the ball and run until tackle. And that's what he has done all throughout his life. And we see Paul bringing the gospel to the end of the earth. Rome is only the beginning of the end of the earth. Now, as we come to verse 31, this ending is really a very abrupt ending. Now, what happened to Paul? We are not told. Was Paul tried and executed? Perhaps not likely. Why? When Paul was tried under Felix and Festus, there was no case against him. And Festus and King Agrippa didn't think that there was a case and that his case did not deserve death or even imprisonment. And so, most likely, as tradition tells us, he was acquitted. Paul was acquitted because the Jews failed in their case. Or perhaps the Roman government dropped his case. Tradition tells us that we, he went on to Spain. He was rearrested and later executed. Now, whatever it is that happened to Paul, the emphasis in the book of Acts is not on Paul, but on God working through his empowered witnesses to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. It is God in his sovereignty, ensuring that the gospel that began in Jerusalem reaches the end of the earth. The abrupt ending, perhaps, has also another meaning for us. It simply means that the story of the spread of the gospel does not end with Acts chapter 28. It continues with God in his sovereignty, empowering his witnesses for the gospel. So that there will be a chapter, X chapter 29. It is your story, my story. It is the story of the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And yes, as we look at the book of Acts, it is the big picture of God sending out his empowered witnesses to tell the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sends his church to be his empowered witnesses from Jerusalem to Rome to the ends of the earth. Yes, despite of all appearance of problem and setback for the church, God sovereignly steers the course of human history. God causes his gospel to continue to move forward. Despite the evil plans of man, God uses his empowered witnesses to spread the good news. Stage by stage, step by step in this story, here Paul sees himself as having a story to tell to the nation that will turn their hearts to the right. A story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light. He, Paul would have seen too, he had a message to give to the nation that the Lord who reigns above has sent his son to save us, to show us that God is love. Paul would have also said that we, he has a story of a savior with a savior to show to the nation who the path of sorrow has trod, that all the world's great people might come to the truth of God. 
Paul's great passion was to share the gospel. Paul's great desire was that people, all people, would hear the gospel. First the Jews and then the Gentiles. He was faithful to the very end. He was empowered to do so. He counted his life as worthless, as dumb, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ and Lord and to be empowered or to be compelled, to be constrained by the love of God to share the gospel, faithful to the very end. He was, a, he was really a noble instrument, willing to be used in the hands of God in whatever way and in whatever situation God allowed him to go through. He was faithful to the end. And may we also learn from Paul and be faithful to the very end. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of Acts. It's a story of the sovereignty of God in the spread of the gospel through his empowered witnesses, empowered by the power of God, by the spirit of God to the ends of the earth. Lord, we know that you continue to want the church to share the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Oh Lord, we pray that like Paul, we will be faithful to you and faithful to the very end. Lord, empower us to do so for your glory and give us opportunities and help us to seize opportunities to do so when it comes. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and we pray that the church militant here on earth will continue to faithfully be your witnesses now and always. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.